Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that wishes it could go up as fast as bank stocks. I'm Scott Phillips and with me, as always, Dr. Nirban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. How are you? Good. I am great, Captain. I wish awesome. I was doing a, I was a bank stock. <laughs> I wish I was a bank stock. There's a song in there somewhere, mate, but not not from neither you nor I. I will let someone else cover that one. Um, I wish I was. A, there's, I wish I was a rich girl. That's kind of the same. We could go with that and work. Anyway, let's not let's not start with a tangent. Maybe we will let our producers, you know, put in a song. <laughs> they don't hate us that much. They don't hate our listeners that much, which is also important, <laughs> mate. Um, hopefully, this might be the last time we have to record this on Zoom, too. By the way, we're recording this on Thursday, the 28th of May. Again, we'd like to timestamp this just because, frankly, we don't know what's going to happen in the next 24, 36 hours. Um, but the, the restrictions in New South Wales officially get lifted on the 1st of June, which is this weekend. So maybe next week we might even be in the same room. What do you reckon? Oh, it's so very likely unless something changes. <laughs> That's possible. Come on. You know, again, can't you know, we, be, op- can't we who... be optimistic? Can't we start well, with I'm the positive? Opti- yeah. Well, I'm optimistic, but you know, I like always like with everything I do, I always like to caveat, but this, but that. It's, it's not like that, that I'm pessimist. It's just that, you know, somebody might <laughs> decide realist, right? that, you know, well, here's the thing, right? The mayor of Barrel or whoever might decide that we can't <laughs> let people from the city of Campbelltown travel to Barrel, right? Like, I mean, that can really happen. So, which would be which would be a very very good decision, can I say? In general, not not you, mate, but you know, I'm ha- barrel for the well. barrel for the Barrelites is what I'm saying. The beautiful New South Wales Southern Highlands, a, a, a bastion of. Some sort of, you know, quarantine something. I'm not sure. Anyway, yeah. uh, we may we may well see each other. And thank you for those who've given us some good feedback on the improvement in the audio quality. We've made some changes. Um, thanks to a suggestion from the from the wonderful people at Triple M and Podcast One Australia. We're now part of the Podcast One network, mate, which is kind of cool. This is our first kind of official recording as part of Podcast One. So, Phil, if you're not already or you want to find a different way to download your podcast, by all means, keep using what you're using. Uh, but the Podcast One Australia app also now features our podcast and we're now part of their network. So that's kind of cool. All right, mate, let's, we've got a lot to talk about today. We've got a lot of news, a lot of kind of topical stuff going on as well. Uh, we're going to talk about the end of media as we know it. We'll put a question mark, but maybe, frankly, it should be an exclamation mark based on this morning's news. We'll talk about the, the bank rally. The last couple of days of bank share prices have been phenomenal. Of course, it wouldn't be a, uh, well, I was going to say Thursday or Friday, I'm not sure. It wouldn't be the end of the week. It wouldn't be another week without more capital raisings on the ASX. Um, I think it's probably easier to count the ones that haven't raised capital. We'll talk about another one of those and a little bit about how to think about them. I know you want to talk about that, Doc. Uh, Whether or not we might see someone from left field by Virgin Australia. A little bit of a thought experiment. We'll talk about how we might fix super. I'll jump on the high horse, mate. It's been a little while. The horse has been in coronavirus quarantine, but it's getting back out of here. And we'll, I might saddle up if we have some time. And of course, why not, mate? We'll dip into the Motley Fool mailbag. What do you reckon? Should we get going? Let's do it. Beautiful. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, buddy. Let's start with media. Now, this is breaking news this morning as we record. There was a, there were some rumours, some reports in the press yesterday afternoon, so Wednesday afternoon. Thursday morning, we get official confirmation from News Corp Australia. They are closing 76 regional mastheads. They are going to change the way they gather and report news. This is something of a seismic shift in media, mate. It's probably not overly surprising for those of us who've watched media and frankly watched the advertising industry for a little bit of time. But I tweeted this morning that, you know, crises tend to create these inflection points, these opportunities for change or frankly the need for change. News Corp grabbing the, the, you know, the bull by the horns and, and deciding... In a, in a collapsing revenue environment, and maybe to some degree they're looking forward and seeing a future that's very, very different to the past. 
76 regional newspapers, mate. It's not a small thing, particularly for those communities who have forever had their local paper as kind of their touchstone, kind of the one community thing, you know, other than the town hall and the maybe the CWA in some of the country areas. But, you know, the regional paper, the local paper was the thing, right? There's a lot of change happening in media. Yeah, like, but I mean, you know, this is a long time coming in that sense, right? Because the advent of the internet, every sort of news being now available through, you, know, you could go to like a platform like Facebook is featuring mm. your news. You could go, you have community boards on, you know, f- on Facebook. You could go to like, you know, if I live in the MacArthur region, you can, I can go to the MacArthur, you know, mm. community board. I don't go there because, you know, I, I just don't go on Facebook, but that's different. But, you know, those people who do, which <laughs> many of them, <laughs> billions apparently, um, yeah, right. uh, uh, you know, they are going there, right? So if there's free, there's free information out there, Easily accessible. Uh, mm. It is just the it's the classic that the old um, model, which worked in the nineteenth century, the early twentieth century, is going to mm. basically go. A lot of things have to change. A lot of things change over time, and I'm actually, frankly, surprised that it has lasted this long. So it doesn't surprise yeah. me. It has lasted yeah. this long is a surprise in my my view. Um, you know that like the local newspapers, for example, in the states and many other countries have been struggling for a long, long time, um, and um, and it's again largely because of the the forces of technology and so on. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, it's it's bad for the community that is affected it's bad for the people who lose their jobs it's bad for local news mm. collection is it but at the same time you know it, it also sinks us to you know like there's so many news apps and news you know news you can gather news through your smartphone you have particular news apps you have um, national newspapers you know making it very easy to access news now on your smartphone and tablets it's basically the movement of technology towards new things um, the inevitable and, you know, it's just that, you know, crisis basically speeds up these things exactly as you said. Um, you know, the cost structures are big. There's a big fixed cost structure that needs to be dealt with. So you, you fix that. Uh, how do you fix that? Well, you know, it basically means that jobs go and, you know, things need to be restructured. Uh, the other thing that people need to keep in mind is that ads too, right, which has been one of the things that, you know, keeps these, um, um, you know, physical newspapers actually running they, right, right. you know the, the ad market has been in decline largely because of uh, the digital market for ads right and the way cleverly you can place ads you can target ads and things like that uh, again I'm not a big proponent of that sort of uh, model but that is the model and you know that is the future we just got to accept that's the future and, and move on so it doesn't surprise me and you know pandemic and current economic environment is a reason for that it's not great because we already have job losses and we just add to those job losses but it's been a long time coming so I think that's a good point mate I think I mean I'm really sad about the need for this sort of stuff I have to say I do think there is a place or a very important place for quality journalism particularly in a world where we have politicians who depending on your particular political stripe may not always be frank and and truthful and there is some value in holding some people to account i dislike immensely the the kind of the the fact that we create our own echo chambers in social media and the social media platforms like facebook and twitter and instagram kind of funnel that by giving us the algorithms stuff we already know we like um i can't imagine how many discoveries wouldn't been made if people stayed their own lanes right the guys who invented goodness knows what you know if isaac newton had always been an apple orchardist rather than a rather than a scientist you know if you don't branch out if you don't see something different if you don't get different information i I don't know how we're not a dumber and frankly less um a lower quality society, I don't know the right way to put it. So I'm a bit sad on that. As you say, though, commercially, no surprise. Mate, I'm, I, I subscribe, we, we subscribe as a company to um, most uh, major mastheads. Um, I get the Australian, I get the 
AFR and the SMH because uh, we're in, obviously in New South Wales. Um, I've noticed particularly, in the, so I get the Australian online only, and, and which is probably the point, and the AFR and SMH in, in print. And I've got to say, mate, I've been flicking through those pages the last couple of days, and the lack of ads is is really stunning. Like it's you know, I, mean, I don't love ads necessarily, but when you turn the page and literally you almost can't find an ad, um, that says a lot about who's not advertising. Um, tough market, right? And across the, across the board, we've seen. Uh, it, but even you know, it's heard our our, our free to air networks, um, radio networks. I mean, this is this is a, you know, at least hopefully in the short term for everyone concerned. But it's been a massive, massive impact. And I wonder, as I said about inflection points, you know, most times things go back to normal. But every now and again, a, a, an inflection point is created that does change the course of whatever trajectory something was on, right? And I don't know whether this is the time for media or not, but it feels a little bit like it, I have to say, with News Corp making this big decision. I've got to say nine newspapers or the old Fairfax can't be far away from the same kind of simple reality, right? You just can't, in the current model, sustain the sort of newsrooms, the sort of print runs. I, I, I'm gonna, I, I, don't know, I don't know how long it is till there's no more print newspapers, but I've got to reckon it's within a decade, isn't it? Yeah, like I don't think like this. So this flips, you know. Again, like I'm not a lot of people like um, looking at like print news. I don't actually, you know. I've mm. I largely don't like looking at print newspapers. It's just again not very environment friendly. Um, we all have yeah, digital devices, uh, you know, which we can use. And you know, and you know, the the fact of the matter is that most of the news apps, whether you're using like you know, like I use Apple News Plus, and but if you're using a news app, you can use the news app for you know, Wall Street Journal or AFR. And, you know, you get pretty much everything, right? It looks and feels like a newspaper. A, you know, you can bookmark, save things. It's less clutter. Yeah, right. It's just, you know, again, I, I think. I think that the two things the 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 quality journalism has got nothing as such directly related to um, yeah. to you know regional newspapers disappearing or so on. Like I mean, quality journal, journalism can and should live mm. even in an electronic world, right? In fact, you could argue oh, that totally, totally. Uh, totally quality journalism uh, gets a much wider uh, audience, right? If there is a journalist mm. out in Barrow who has something very interesting to say that people want to hear, people want to talk, you know, you could, you have 7 billion people who could potentially listen to instead of like, you know, a mm-hmm. uh, few thousand people in Barrow who are going to read that newspaper, right? I mean, that's sort of the... T- tens of uh, thousands, I think thank you. Come on. Be kind. Uh, much. Yeah, okay, tens of thousands. <laughs> but, but, we're, yeah, we're, you a, know, we're a big regional well, area. Come on. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, fine. Tens of I thousands. Point, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but I think, so... I think there are advantages to to this, and um, yeah, it, it it you know I think everything like it's a calamity for those people who are hit, I, and I appreciate that, and you know one day it could be my job that's right, hit, but I think right. uh, and, and I appreciate of that, and I understand that it's very painful. What at the same time, what I try to think about is there's got to be something good that comes out of changes that we make right and there must be ways in which we can move forward with changes because you know ultimately what matters is progress and innovation and moving ahead and so that we know we all are together doing better and we are all better off so um i feel like this is like the models currently in place should allow for you know high quality journalism to survive and uh, you know news uh, hopefully with less color like the, so the news there is news that has very partisan view because of how it is, you know, run, <laughs> yeah. owned, and, and that's it's nothing about, uh, it's it's 
it's not just in Australia, but it's worldwide. Everywhere this happens. Yep, yep, but there's at the same time, there's news also that tries to be nonpartisan. There are organizations which will try to, you know, uh, curate news as it is nonpartisan in that sense. So therefore, there's, you know, so I think, you know, maybe there's more to be done there. But I think, I think there is an opportunity here for everyone. So that's what I think about it, you know, and I do think that it's, you know, the job loss is only hurt given the current environment we are in. I, mean, I hope you're right. I have to say, I am. Maybe, maybe I'm guilty of anchoring on this one. I, I think the, you know, I'll use the phrase "the good old days" just to date myself a little bit. Before the internet, before the online classified companies, you bought the newspaper for the comics or the sports section or the form guide or the classifieds, and everyone did because that's the only place you could find it. And so there was a really, really super high incidental readership of everything else. You know, very few people bought it for the front page news, <laughs> but you kind of read it on the way to the, to the crosswords, right? Or the way to the, the way to the, the form guide. Um, what, what worries me a little bit is the consumption of hard news. I mean, the, the people who are paying for subscriptions, for example, pale compared to the people who would have bought the paper for the classifieds and maybe or maybe not read, that, read the main news. Like, I do wonder if there's a bit of a... I mean, it's, I guess it's possible between Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and who you follow. You could, you still get your classified, you still get your form guide. You may never see a single bit of re, you know, hard news, if I call it that, um, in, in weeks, right? It's, it's entirely possible to avoid it entirely. Some people might want to, right? So I guess that's consumer choice. But at a societal level, I don't know, mate. I kind of, I like the fact that, you know, almost incidentally, right? It was almost the, the broccoli you had with your, <laughs> with your you know, uh, with your meat. You, you kind of, if, if you mash it in with the, with the mints, the kids don't notice. Um, we were kind of the kids who, got our broccoli in terms of the front page news, the political news, the world news, whatever it was, as we flicked past, and maybe something caught our eye, maybe it didn't, when you can kind of dice and slice your consumption meaningfully, I do wonder a little bit about it just eroding that that kind of base quality of national interest or, or, or kind of, um, I'll call it civics, it's a bit of a loaded term these days with kind of political correctness and, and, and culture wars, but that kind of idea of like, you know, I, I, don't, I, I can imagine if I was a kid, I mean, I grew up, Dad bought the, the Daily Mirror in Sydney, and I kind of read the news on the way through to the sports section. I wonder what my own development would have been like without that stuff, without actually being confronted with it, just incidentally. But maybe that's a maybe that's a, a forlorn and, and historical artifact these days. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I think it's so. Here's the thing, right? I think uh, the cultural shift happens every generation, right? So, what the cultural true, shift, true. you know, like people who read newspapers in a certain way and consumed consumed content in a certain way and and you know and did certain things on weekends that changes over time i think what the the shift basically means the, the so the downside as you point out is you lose local flavor the upside is you get um, a much broader uh, you know i don't know multicultural flavors you have a much better appreciation of what's going around in the yeah, world that's fair. yeah, you, yeah. yeah. so so you know they're trading off different things um, mm -hmm. is it good or bad it's really hard for me to say um, yeah that's fair, that's the, fair. and then the other thing is that you know ultimately here's the other way to look at it right the, the local newspapers are closing or failing not because of global newspapers or global giants or the ad companies they're failing because people are not reading them right <laughs> so therefore in a way another way to think about yep. it is that this yep. is a model that is failing on its own it's nobody has come yeah. and uh, made them fail they just yeah. have not stood the test of time anymore and a lot of things don't st stand the test of time because I, I think the only thing that is constant in the world is change right and um, and I think it's true for pretty much anything right you know I like I like here's the thing right I like a Mac computer but I am no. certain that at, 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 at some point in time 
it may be that the Mac computer is not the best computer to have, right? And oh. I think that is the that is the way to I think think about the future. The, the way to think about the future is nothing is certain. There are certain things that are true today; they may not be yeah. true tomorrow. And I think as you know, as as people, if we embrace that, we are much better off than you know. Well, you know, otherwise we can remnants of the you know bygone eras, and that's great sometimes to do. But I think mm. you know, I like to think forward and say, well, you know, nobody came and said we are going to shut down these things. You know, somebody came in and said, "I have something better to offer, or something else to offer that people decided to do." So, um, that that is the reality, I think, uh, right? Because you know, we're not in a dictatorial system. Nobody came and closed these things. Nobody ordered their closure. Um, as an open society, you say, true, "Well, true. you know, you you can offer things." So that's what I think. Very true. Very true. All right. Well, I'll 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 leave with one quick editorial thought, which is if you do value quality journalism please subscribe to your local not, not to us subscribe to us of course well i'll throw an ad in later but do 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 you do yourself do society a favor if you if you value quality journalism please subscribe to your favorite uh your favorite newspaper i don't care which one it is i don't care what your political view is um but if you want to support journalism then pony up um advertisers are not working for them if you pay for the news you want there's a better chance they'll stay in business so there you go mate. a bit of a bit of an editorial hey let's move on to Let's get back to stocks. That's what we're supposed to be here for. Um, actually, let me let me ask you in the in the in, on the way out. Media companies, are you tempted? Um, tempted in what sense? To buy shares in any media companies based on kind of falling business or or kind of you know falling share prices. Is there a bounce back? Is there a turnaround? Are people too pessimistic? Um, tempted by tempted by media shares. <sighs> No, well, like so, the media is it's, it's a broad term. Like I, I would not be buying any traditional media company. Largely, I think because they are pretty much in the decline camp. They're in the, mm. you know, they were the things of the nineteenth and the twentieth century. I think. Yeah. For, for better or for worse, they, in my view, they, they, they will be a, they are going to be a pale self, pale version of their former self. And that's true. That's true. You know, that's, it, can again, they survive? Like, like, I'm not, do you think as businesses, if you look at ten years, well, could, the major media businesses still survive? Well, I think some will will do. Like, I mean, I mean, here's the thing, right? There's some companies that are very good at adapting. Some are not so good at adapting. Some are good <laughs> at embrace. Embrace. You know, it, it just depends on culture. Some are very good at adopting changes. So, like, I don't, I don't know much about the. You know, so there's one example that I think is is interesting is. Um, New York Times, for example, is doing really well in terms of subscriptions and so on, mm-hmm. right? So it has made this shift to subscription model very nicely. And um, again, so can you know, you have to you have to shift and you have to be willing to switch, and you may have to be a much smaller version of your current self. But mm. you could then, uh, from that point on, you know, maybe you jettison some assets, and then you you be you know you can survive. So yeah, I, I think absolutely, the good and the agile and the willing to change and the willing to adapt and the dynamic ones are going to survive. A lot of the others are probably not going to survive or getting a bit bought out by others and things like that. So that's that's what I think. Um, is it a place I want to invest in? I'm not really a hardcore like you know I'm not a like a hardcore like I. You know, I have some value tendencies, but I'm not a hardcore like, okay, you know, this share should be worth $10 and it's now selling for like five and <laughs> therefore I'm going to buy guy. and yeah, sell. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. not a deep value guy. So like for deep value guys, there might be, you know, who are willing to, you know, think about changes in the industry and things like that. They might be interested in doing this, but it's not my thing. No. But yeah, that's what I think. What do you think? Oh, look, okay, question. Um, 
So I, we, we've actually recommended Nine Entertainment as share advisor. It remains a, a buy for us. I think it's a buy. I'm pretty sure it is. Let me double check that as we talk. Um, the Look, here's the thing. I think your point is actually really valid. And why I actually like Nine Entertainment is I think the free-to-air business is strong. They've done a new deal with the NRL in particular. Um, a strong, so let me sorry, I said strong and then had a, a bracket. I don't mean to say strong unequivocally. Is strong in sport and reality TV and very strong in news. Um, and, and full disclosure, I do appear on Nine News from time to time, although I'm not um, I'm not paid to do so and have no commercial relationship with them. So for the record, um, I, I think Nine. What I like about Nine actually is I think the, the stand business is interesting and potentially undervalued. Um, now. Big, big competitors from Netflix. I think Fox sells in massive trouble for the record. Um, but I think Stan may well have a place. I also think to some degree their, their Nine Now digital platform is doing fantastic business. Um, and so it's ad supported. They're, they're, it's, again, heaps of reality TV content. Um, I do think that the Agile will do well. And I think Nine is probably the best positioned across the media landscape to make that transition if anyone can. Um, I think the shares are also cheap, by the way. There's a price at which we'd sell. I'm not a deep value guy either, though I do have a bit more of a value bent than you do. Um, and maybe that will get me into trouble from time to time, including maybe on nine. Uh, I think there's a, t- there's a price we'd absolutely sell that stock, by the way. It's not going to be a 10-year buy-to-hold um, type investment, but I think there's an opportunity there. I, I do think, mate, it's a hard one, right? I, th- I have a feeling a basket of media stocks from now would do well. I don't want to start picking winners outside nine, though. I think, you know, seven is dirt cheap. Southern Cross Media is dirt cheap. I mean, the, the shares were up 27% yesterday on Southern Cross Media, such as the volatility around this stock. I have a feeling a basket of media stocks will do well from here, um, but that may, be, that may be, you know, I might be a little bit too optimistic there. And, and as you say, the seismic shifts that are happening may well sweep more companies before it than I imagine will happen. So I think a basket would do well, um, but I wouldn't... Look, I, the other thing is, by the way, as we say about the banks, and we'll get to the banks in a second, but just because they might do well doesn't mean you have to buy them. There may still be better ideas out there, and I think I'm probably in that camp as well. Sounds good to me. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, buddy, let's move on to, speaking of the banks, let's, I I don't even know how to introduce this, mate. You know, stocks are volatile and, and little stocks move back up and down a lot. We have seen in the last two business days and so last two market days, so again, we're recording this on Thursday morning, so Tuesday and Wednesday, some bank stocks are up more than 12% in two days. I mean, like, I know the market's been volatile and, and maybe some of our listeners don't realise, so 12% maybe doesn't feel huge. It is phenomenally huge. 10% is the average market gain in a whole year, for starters. <laughs> so in two days, and, and the banks aren't the whole market, though they are about 40% of the market. In two days, the banks have put on 13%, 12%, 10%. Uh, each individual bank is a little bit different, but these are stupidly big gains. Like, and, I, and I actually mean stupidly both in terms of stupidly big as a phrase, but there is absolutely no justification in my mind for banks to be worth 12% more in two days. I, I'm not saying they were worth less, they should have been worth less or more. It doesn't really matter which way you look at it. Nothing happened in two days to make banks that much more valuable, did it? Yeah, like I'm not really sure what... Uh is driving this gain. You know, like here's the thing, right? Nothing has fundamentally changed um, for the banks. The the economy is the economy. It's 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 it's, a, it's still in, in in not a great shape. Um, right. You know, there are there are still troubles out there. Um, I would think that the housing market, which is you know the, their largest play, is 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 in difficulty. So. Mm. 
I'm not sure. It's you know, it's a relief rally, right? You know, it's the yeah, it's the yeah. rally the rally that you know all these vaccines and you know some positive results from phase one trials and things like that that are moving in. And one could make the argument maybe that the banks were you know um, sold off, and because they were sold off, um, you know, it made sense that they bounced bounced some. Some of this is just illogical. Like I mean. I have always thought that the, you know, as I've said many times, you know, I think the banks are over mm. overpriced. They they get a higher P than they should. They deserve. Mm. They don't deserve. They're not that high quality uh, businesses that they deserve that kind of P. Um, you know, they're just now more expensive. Um, so that's my thought. You <laughs> <Right>. know, <laughs> um, you know. But again, market participants tend to be crazy, and uh, you know, it's a <laughs> lot of hot money chasing uh, a few stocks, right? And again, there's a propensity for yeah. people to just think about buy. You know, if I want to buy something, I'm just going to buy the banks because hey guess what i can see the you know the the bank branch beside you know if i walk a few uh few meters i can see the bank branch so you see it's that sort of you know mentality again uh, yeah i don't know again you know speculating on short-term movements but um Mm -hmm. yeah it's it is it's in some sense bizarre because i would think bank performance correlates very strongly to economic performance and the economic outcome or performance or you know future economic outcome right now is uh, is, is cloudy at best which means the bank stock should be cloudy at best uh, <laughs> at least that's what I, I think, think. So, wouldn't you? Um, espe- yeah. especially especially given our banks are retail banks right as I've said many times they're retail banks serving mm. retail customers uh, it's therefore more strongly correlated to the economy than anything else right it's not like you right. know it's not a merchant bank it's not an investment bank uh, you know it doesn't you know there are you know it's not like you know Macquarie's performance should be different <laughs> right. to, yeah. to you know uh, to the retail banks but it looks like yeah, the retail just less correlated to the economy right yeah yeah less correlated to the economy right so that's that's what I think anyways that's what I think yeah I, I look I, I think that again what, what you're right about speaking on short term movements I think what just flabbergasts me and really I guess the, the key thing I want to draw out of this for our listeners mate was largely just that the market is still super volatile right we are still very much I don't know which way it goes next neither do you neither do our listeners um, but the reality is when when, when the banks <laughs> capital T capital B the banks move 12% in, in two days you know the market is not operating in its usual calm, well, relatively calm, <laughs> um, relatively yeah. efficient manner, right? There is stuff going all over the place. And I think, as you say, whether they were ch- too cheap before, whether they're too expensive now, whether they were simply still cheap or were always expensive, you know, the kind of the, kind of the value judgments we make are, are important. But it, just as a reminder, if you're an investor right now, you will see, we will see much, much more volatility to come in the, in the coming weeks and months just because that's what's happening right now. Yesterday, mate, so financial were up 5%. Healthcare was down 5%. And, and again, the same kind of thing, right? You think, okay, well, if, if the market was up, if everyone was happy about stocks and everything was up 5%, okay, fair enough. We had, and that market was up, no, it was actually down, it was flat, down five points yesterday, so 0.1%, whatever it was, doesn't matter. Um, and we saw banks up five, you know, healthcare down five, IT was down two and a half. It was just a really, really strange market. I think that's, again, just, just the, the key message for me is I wouldn't buy the banks right now, I have to say, neither would you. Um, but, but moreover, for our listeners who don't own the banks, um, remember, volatility is still well and truly with us. Uh, the market doesn't know what to do. It doesn't know what to think. Uh, and it seems to change its mind very, very, very quickly and frankly, very frequently. And so just be careful. Um, not, 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 I'm not saying be careful of investing. I'm not saying be careful of buying. You know, if, you, if you like what you're buying, you like the price, buy it by all means. I'm not trying to say don't buy. What I'm saying is just be mindful that we will see lots of volatility. You've got to be prepared for that. Please don't lull yourself in a false sense of security and then freak out when, um, when tough times hit again. 
I was just going to add, just, I thought when you were speaking, I'd check the prices for today because oh, yeah. it's already 10 o'clock and Thursday, ANZ is up another 6%. Um, Commonwealth Bank is up 3.7%. <laughs> I don't know what how. It, it is bizarre. Um, you know, and NAB is up, oh, NAB is up 5.9%. Uh, oh, that's the indicative change. Uh, well, it's not yet open, so. I'm not sure we announced it's, it's well let me let me have a look actually because the market is open. We're recording this is now twenty past ten. So let me just dial in now. So it should it's They're open and trading. Plus. There's been fifteen trades, the shares haven't moved yet. So yeah, maybe the um maybe the price haven't quite hit the market yet. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Okay. Mate, some, let's yeah. let's move. I oh, go on. No, no, no. So maybe the six percent for ANZ is not correct, or maybe there's some. No, that's trading. ANZ is trading already, but is it up six percent? Yeah, it is 6.2%. Anyway, let's move on, mate. Look, suffice it to say, you know, if what you know what I kind of hope? I kind of hope these these movements are, are justified because if that's true, then it means the economy is in a much better place than it might have otherwise been and the future is much brighter than perhaps even I, as an optimist, card-carrying optimist, might have imagined. Uh, I hope that's true because the alternative is that uh, <laughs> is that it's not the case and, and investors are getting carried away. We should say, by the way, of course, I mean, the shares of NAB are still at half or just over half of their 52-week high. So they're not exactly uh, riding high just yet. I was going to add that, you know, you know who's responsible for the, this market movement? <laughs> it's it's my it's my good friend, um, the Reserve gov- Governor. Uh, the governor. Reserve Bank governor. Governor Lowe. The Governor. You, he is saying... No, he's basically saying, hey, we're in a much better shape, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, can I just work the markets a bit? Uh, you know, he's learned his lessons from uh, um, the Fed chief, uh, Powell, how to talk to the market. There you go. There you go. Let's move on, shall we? Yes, let's do that. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Speaking of being in the market, mate, Blackmore's has gone back to the market, and I've got to say, look, I I give up trying. To, you know what? I, I'm I'm really glad we work for the Motley Fool. We get to say I don't know, and we also get to say who knows. Um, Blackmore's is raising 112 odd million dollars of new capital for a whole lot of reasons. We'll get into. The discount was about an 8% discount to the most recent traded price, right? So you say, okay, well, if they're giving away new shares or selling new shares at an 8% discount, let's assume shares fall by 5 or 6%. As I speak right now, have you, I don't, have you looked yet? No. What do you reckon the change in the share prices on Blackmores, given an 8% discount for the capital raising? Well, I would say actually it would not. It should be flat because it people are, are uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because people are people are rushing to buy anything that they can hand lay their hands on. So it's amazing, right? <laughs> so, so Blackmores yeah. is, Blackmores are going to issue 100, 100 million dollars worth of new shares. I think it's about eight percent of its issued capital, something like that. Um, and shares are up one percent despite shares being issued an eight percent discount. So work that out. Uh, I, I would have said down three or four percent. So I'm glad I don't have to do this day trade for a living because it'd be a tough, tough thing to do. And good luck to anyone out there day trading. By the way, if you're listening to this, um, I don't know why you're listening to us because we're not going to help you day trade. But if you are, uh, thanks for listening. But uh, mate, good luck. It's tough, tough out there. So Blackmore's mate wants a hundred million dollars. They are blaming everything. Um, they want to improve the balance sheet. They want to fund growth in China. Uh, so you know, throw the kitchen sink at it. If you're going to raise capital, you might as well raise a lot. And you might as well put every possible reason and, and option out there. Um, I was surprised it decided to raise capital. I have to say, um, apparently the immunity products are going through the roof. No surprise. But they're also having struggles selling the other stuff, which I don't know is it, if it's a function of people not going out as much. I can't imagine that 
if you had fish oil for months up leading up to the pandemic, you all hadn't stopped having it, but maybe the people aren't just shopping as much, they're not the chemists and the, and the supermarkets. I'm not entirely sure. Um, and of course, the company wants to double down on its growth in China, which so I'm a shareholder, by the way. It's a recommendation of ours for full disclosure. Uh, I, I'd love to think they can grow in China. That'd be a wonderful upside, but they haven't exactly covered themselves in glory thus far, mate. Are they, are they throwing good money after bad? So yes, I'll, I'll, I'll answer a couple of things about. So, so number one, I think I didn't realize this. But I was just looking at it now on uh, Gold Standard uh, S and P Capital uh, IQ, uh, mm-hmm. which is a, a database that we use. So, so you know, you'd be surprised. This is a one point three billion, one point four billion dollar market capitalization company. You know, guess how much is this cash balance? Its no, cash no. balance bef- before this raise was a mere thirty three point seven million dollars. Okay. That's pretty low for a big company like this. Um, you know, like if, you know, I could imagine that this company at the middle of the pandemic was probably like going, uh-oh, <laughs> what will happen? And you know how much <laughs> debt it has got? Because you know, you've got $33 million in the bank and you've got $171 million of debt um, yep. on your balance sheet and all of your revenues basically go to zero. <laughs> you yep. would be dead in the water very quickly, right? <laughs> so this looks like this looks like a solid big company, but it's like really a small cap if you think mm-hmm. about it, right? So it raising money actually is not surprising. It's basically strengthening its balance sheet, probably pay down some of its debt. Um, yep. You know, probably the right move for it to do. Is it doing? Here's the thing. So uh, I have to say that is does Blackmore have a stellar track record of um, growth? especially in China I don't know it's questionable right um, again looking at um, past history as a guide right and past yeah, history is not yeah. necessarily a specific guide but for 12 months ended uh, June uh, ending June 30 2016 um, and just looking at top line numbers they did 598 million in revenue okay so 598 million it looks like a large number right last 12 months you know how much it did in revenue last 12 months uh, ending 597 million in revenue so roughly the this, same. So basically, this company has gone nowhere from 2016 to 2019. Um, okay, if I if I remove the fact that there was a you know, the, and this is December 31st, right? So this was before pandemic, yeah. um, right? So I mean, here's a here's the thing. I think about a lot of companies, companies that are not really growth companies, mm. uh, really need to think what they're doing. Right, so this isn't doesn't look like a growth company to me, right? And everybody wants to be a growth company and you know uh, grow in China and like uh, you know here's the thing, right? I want to grow in China because hey, China's a big market, but guess what? Everybody else is there <laughs> trying to grow in China because it's a big market, right? If yeah, if you can't if you don't have growth that you can deliver, then you have no business of trying to be. This is my really honest opinion. You have no business whatsoever of trying to raise capital, putting, building new this, building new that. You know, new factory. Like, you know, is it really um, going a bit of a rant? Why does Blackmore need any factory to build like vitamin pills? Like, just outsource it. Like, I mean, you're just a brand company, right? There's no yep. reason for you to build something, yep. especially which like, hundreds of other people are building. Uh, you just work on your brand, improve your brand positioning, try to grow your brand, right? I mean, 
again, every vitamin looks the same to me, right? So all you're selling is, you know, whether or not your brand is better than somebody else's brand, right? Uh, so I don't know. Like, I think this company has got some strategy issues. It's gone through a number of CEOs, right? And which is, again, reflective of mm-hmm. issues with strategy, right? You, mm-hmm. you know, there was a CEO, then there was a new CEO, then there's another CEO. And then, you know, uh, it's like, you know, you're changing diapers that frequently. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's bizarre. So, I, I mean, you know, my, my you know, if, if they were paying me, any company which has got like less than 20% revenue top line growth shouldn't be in the business of trying to figure out to become a growth. They should just say, we are just a fly, you know, cash flow generator. We're going to generate cash and we're going to either buy back our shares if they look cheap or give you some dividend, you know, try to do some minuscule growth and just be happy with it, right? But no company uh, ever wants to acknowledge that. Everybody wants to think that they're a growth company, right? But they're not. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, everybody can't be a growth company because, you know, you can't grow. Uh, everybody can't be growing because if somebody if everybody's growing nobody's shrinking right <laughs> it doesn't work that way and it doesn't have to be zero sum but but that's what i think you know so i, I don't know I, I think the you know there's been management issues in my view um with the company uh, and that, that you know and i think anyways that's what i think yeah no they, they they made some awful missteps in the past um i, I look i will it's a recommendation of ours so I'll, I'll say some nice things plus i know the shares as i've already mentioned i think for for what it's worth the the growth is hard to look at because they they had a, they had what ended up being one off or you know it went for a little while but a, a new channel the daigu sellers the uh, Chinese Australians who are buying products in Australia shipping it back home uh, selling it to, selling it to friends and relatives that was a spectacularly great business for Blackmore's while it lasted then it stopped dead and so it's one of those things where you know if if I'm if I'm selling something I get a big one off sale of something and then that one off sale doesn't recur of course I want to take the money from the one off sale yes it'll make me look like I'm in a declining business thereafter because I know let's say we're in the shipbuilding business and we get an order for 10 ships one year we normally make two a year um, you know the fact we go from 10 back to two you know is you know, doesn't look great on, on numbers on paper if we if we're just doing the analysis but you know would you rather say well I won't take the 10 just so my growth next year doesn't look bad I think you've got to take it where it comes I think that's that was valid what they didn't do well enough is create enough demand at the local level in China and I think the mate the purchase of that bloody factory was it was a I, I am scathing on that decision. I think it was a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. You're exactly right, mate. They didn't need to be doing it. Um, yeah, there were some supply issues in globally in vitamins and Blackmores wanted to control that a little bit better. There are much, much better ways to do it than buying your own factory, I have to say. Um, so I, I'll take, I'll take. you know, I think that was crazy. Uh, that being said, I, I'm, I'm less of a... I'm less concerned about the extrapolation and not that you are necessarily not wanting to put words in your mouth, but I think there is still some future opportunity there for Black Moors. We'll see whether or not they can, they can grab it with both hands, uh, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan personally. Mate, um, I want to talk about a couple of things. <laughs> I, want, I want to mention one thing just for a laugh. Um, Blackmore's is raising capital and Marcus Blackmore, who was the son of the founder, Morris, um, who we've had at a Motley Fool Platinum event, by the way, before, who was awesome, as you know. Uh, lots of fun and, and knows a lot of stuff. He'd be around the traps. Uh, he's not taking part in the capital raising. And in a very, very typical Marcus way, he's not doing it because he's building a new house and he's buying a new boat. And I just, I love that. I got to say, like, I think, you know, lots of people get really caught up in the whole, you know, every CEO should have all their money invested in the company. No one should ever sell shares and do anything else. Um, I, think that's, I think that's crazy. I mean, look, good on them if they want to, but man, if Russell and Kogan or Marcus Black want to sell some shares and, and buy, buy themselves a boat or a house, I mean, knock yourselves out. Life's too short. I just, I just love that. Marcus, one of those guys, she's like, yeah, I bought, I'm, buying a, I'm buying, building a house. I bought a boat. What do you, you know, so what? Um, I just thought that was, that was just lots of fun. It's a bit, of a, a bit of an aside. Do you have any thoughts on that? I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, again, there, there's really, there, there isn't, 
in any correlation, you know, like I said, I'll use an example of yeah. say, you know, uh, there's always like examples, right? Like, you know, so Jeff Bezos yeah, yeah. owns a lot of, lot of shares for Amazon, but you know, like Netflix, you know, it's been a, you know, another stupendous winner over the past decade, right? You know, probably is up like 100x or yeah. something. Yeah. It's co-founder, you know, and CEO, um, uh, Reed Hastings, he probably owns like only one and a half percent of the shares. So it's, it's not, right. I think it's not, you know, people who, yeah, like I, I totally get it. Like, I mean, you know, Marcus, if he wants to buy a boat, you want to buy two boats, three boats, wants to buy an A380, <laughs> he should totally knock himself out. Like, I mean, you know, 380s exactly. are probably lying around. You can just go to Qantas and say, can I have that for like, a good deal. you know, $100,000 know, $100, or something like that. It'll be probably like just buying a fancy car, right? Um, so yeah, you should totally do that. Like this, that I have got nothing to do. You know, he's not participating does not mean yeah. a thing about whether the, you know, it's a good capital raising or bad capital raising. I know people get caught up with that. That's got nothing to do with it. The capital raising should be evaluated on its merits and things like that. I'll, I'll, I'll just add quickly to one of the things that you're saying. So yeah, so, you know, I, I'm being scathing. I'm, I'm being a little too scathing maybe because as you pointed out, you know, from 2016 to 2019, yes, the revenue went nowhere. But if you looked at 2014 to 2019, which would like be five years, mm -hmm. uh, 2019, they earned 350 million. They got this one-off bump, huge bump that, you know, between 2015 to 2016 because of the Daigo channel. So I mean, effectively from 2015 to 2014 to, you know, so that's one, two, three, yeah, that's a five years, a little bit more than five years, a little bit more than five years, you've, you've not quite doubled your revenue base. So that's, that's growth, right? And uh, as you rightly point out, you know, they should have uh, figured out a more way for more consistent growth or, you know, more recurring type of growth, but it's hard to, you know, vitamins are not software, right? You can't turn them into a recurring <laughs> thing. Um, and, and if it was suitcase trade, then it's even harder uh, yeah, to do, exactly. right? So, but, but yeah, so I'll, I'll give them that, you know, like, you know, they have kind of like at least 1.5, 1.6 times their business in five years, which is which is growth. So yeah, it's not not quite X growth. It's something. It's something. Again, there's a need for, you know, not being clever with the capital. Just be mm. clever with the capital. Yeah, good point. But speaking of which, let me take you to capital raisings because we want to talk more broadly. We've we kind of talked about it a little bit before, um, but but there's been so many capital raisings. We kind of just wanted to touch back on the topic of of kind of how to think about companies raising capital, when you should consider it, when you should not consider it. Just you know the, the kind of the psychology and the and the financial um, uh, kind of theory and logic behind taking part. I mean, I know you had some thoughts on this. So let me just ask you: when it, when it comes to a company raising capital, how do you hmm. assess? that opportunity in air quotes because companies always present opportunity no one says this is terrible please give me some money anyway it's always an opportunity to buy some shares and the shares are often almost always priced at a lower price than the current market price so it pricks up many people's ears because they say wow even cheaper that sounds like I should do that how do you think about capital raisings when they're proposed that's a great question, mate. The reason I say it's a great question, you know, on our forums we get this, um, on our services we get this question quite often, yeah. <laughs> Large, la largely because, uh, you know, there's so many so many capital placements going on right now and so many uh, share placement plans, right, SPPs going yeah. on. So here, here's, you know, my standard, you know, stock answers, actually, I really detest, and, and maybe it's a, it's a function of the, the, of the numbers that I have, I really detest these uh, SPP plans because it's, and the reason I, you know, there's so many of them, right? And the, the question I, the way I phrase it, I say that the number one question people need to ask in their mind is, well, when somebody tells you I'm going to sell you some shares, well, the first question you should ask is, where were you planning on buying shares, right? Mm. So if you were planning on buying shares, then it makes sense. If well, somebody wants to sell you shares, then you know, you just just because somebody's saying I'm going to sell you shares does not mean that you have to buy them. That's number one. So then number two, I say, well, you know, it's it's often an allocation question, right? Well, if I own 2% 
of a certain company, ABC. Uh, mm-hmm. And I did not plan it to be more than 2% of my allocation. Then too, I should not really care about right. the SPP, right? I mean, I should, and at least from a participation point, I should care about yeah, yeah. what it means to means to my long-term prospects and things like that. But I should not care from the point of view of uh, purchase, from a purchase decision. So that's number two. Number three is if I did intend or I was thinking of buying the shares, then I, what I like to think about is, well, are the shares at a good price? for me to consider addition, right? Again, so the price comes into play at that point, is if I wanted to buy the shares, then is the price good? If the price is good, then I would consider participating in, in you know, the placement plan uh, or the purchase plan uh, with with a caveat being that I should be able to buy it at a price that's at least at least equal to the market price or at, you know, at some discount, ideally to the market price. I get it. It's brokerage free and all those things, but it doesn't make sense that if I have to pay more than, there are, there are placement plans and purchase plans, which, uh, you know, which if you let pass basically the shares, you know, the moment is announced, they're not actually trading at a discount. So like, you know, so it's not, not, not the, uh, not the classic example that you know, typically they should be trading at least around that price or more, um, as is the case for Blackmore. So if it's, you know, if it's generally accepted, generally viewed that it's going to be uh, oversubscribed and people are going to be interested in buying those shares then you know the shares will trade up but if the shares are already trading down <laughs> then you know unless there's some sort of volume weighted whatever whatever way of deciding the pricing which you know maybe gives you a favorable entry again it's mm-hmm. uh, I find that you know bizarre that you, know, you have to the final point I have and this is you know what this is my biggest ding with this scheme and the really I really the reason I dislike it is if you're managing a portfolio and you want to do an allocation, there's, it's really hard to actually allocate. Even if you know, so if you, you know, you'd say, oh, you can subscribe to $30,000 worth of shares. But, you know, what if I want to only add 1%, right? Then if I send like, you know, what 1% turns out to be like, say, $2,000 of share, you know, so I say, I ask for 2000 well, I got only 200 Like, right, it's right. bizarre. And then, you know, my money is stuck. So I just find this whole mechanism um, not, it's, 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 it's designed to be friendly, but it's one of those things that's designed to be friendly, but it actually turns out to be a pain. Um, yeah. You know, it's this designed to create... This idea, right? That, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. In reality, what I really think is that, you know, if the investment... Companies should be able to just do the placement, and if the placement is done properly, the shares will trade appropriately, and you'll be fine. Um, you know, if the company is doing a poor right. job of placement, the shares will then trade down, and you will not be fine, and probably you should get rid of that company. That's the way I think. Of, look, at, you know, there's there's this whole you know dynamic that comes into play that which I don't like. So that's the you know, but yeah, those are my steps in terms of you know, um, at least in the services that I run, you know, I have I basically, you know, as a rule. It's as a blanket rule. We're not participating in the SPP, but we are looking at it on a um, on a on a on a on a case by case basis, right? Does it make sense for this particular one, right? But as a blanket rule, it means just because it's there, you know, you know, we, we're going to think about it and then decide. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to agree almost entirely with that. The, the only thing I'm going to add, just for the just for the fun of it, is I think if you, uh, you know. It, I think I've said this before, mate, to, to our listeners, so they probably know this, but if you get a request, you know, an SPP or a, or a capital raising, we get this thing in the mail and we think, well, I guess we should do something with that. And so the presumption, the psychological presumption is I have to take an action. So now it's a yes or no question. And the shares are cheaper and I guess it's cheaper has got to be better, so I guess I should send the money in. So I do. And that's exactly what companies want you to do. That's why they do it, right? So so that they know and we know. Uh, unfortunately, as investors, we don't always think about it. You the way I simply say is there's 1,500 companies in the ASX, give or take. If it just so happens that at the at the share purchase price 
Share purchase plan price. Let me try and spit that out. That's the best idea. Then go for it. Buy the shares. But the odds that <laughs> Blackmores, are, I mean, again, to buy for us and I own shares, the odds that at an 8% discount, so the shares were $79, let's say, what's 8% of that, mate? Do, do the math for me, uh, $72, something like that. The odds that mm-hmm. that was all of a sudden now the very best idea I've got on the entire market just because Blackmores want to raise money is really, really small. <laughs> I mean, it, it may just be the case. As you said, if you're going to buy shares anyway at 78, someone said, hey, why don't you buy them at 72? Go, well, of course I will. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I was going to buy them anyway. I'll grab it. I'd love to buy them cheaper. But the, chance, the odds that that's the single best investment right now just because you get sent the paperwork is really, 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 really small. So I just I, I think for for most people, um, just, it, you know, it, frankly, most people shouldn't take part almost by definition because of that exact question. The odds simply are not very good. That's the single best place for your money right now, and yet we all do, or a lot of us do, because of that psychological thing of well, I guess it's cheaper, and I guess I should, and I guess I will, and I've got some money. Okay, I'll do it. Um, they load the gun for us, and then and then invite us to pull the trigger, and we do. And, and again, I don't necessarily blame the companies, but as an investor, you've really got to think hard about it and. Mo- almost all the time, the answer should be no. I'm not taking part because it's simply not the best place for my money. And as you say, mate, for all those other reasons, like is it the right portion of my portfolio? I don't know how much I'm going to get, and all that kind of stuff that goes with it. One hundred percent agreement. Speaking of which, I you want to buy an airline from me? What would I buy from you? Do you want to buy an airline? See, Virgin oh. Australia is for sale. I'm just I'm just saying I, I might be able to get a cut from the administrator. If I can mm-hmm. get you to buy an airline. <laughs> the news this week is that no one yet has been able to put the money down, mate. It was a, it was a loaded question. And mm. it got, got me to thinking, you know, who is going to buy this airline? It seems that, I mean, plenty of people are interested, but, uh, you know, the money doesn't seem overly forthcoming. The airlines had to ask the government for some cash. I raised the question, I posed the question on Twitter and with you guys the other day. Um, if, you know, if, if, if you can't find a PE buyer, a private equity buyer, and it can't find a... A, a trade buyer, so another airline, who would buy Virgin Australia? What do you think, mate? If you're if you're a betting man, who would you go with? Well, I would buy it for ten bucks. If they sell it to me. <laughs> okay, who who else might buy it? Do you reckon? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I told you um, that uh, you know some infrastructure company uh, that invests in infrastructure. So you know, the Brookfield um, was one company that came to mind. The Canadian mob. Uh, came to my mind as um, as a, the other one that comes to my mind is some sort of like pension fund. If they can mm-hmm. get a high enough discount, that they might buy it, thinking that you know it's a value play where they'll sell it back or do an IPO at some point. Uh, you know, take it private, do an IPO at some point. So you know, those are two. Like a lot of pension funds invest in um, you know pension funds. Um, it's yeah do, right invest in these sort of things like infrastructure things so those, so those mm-hmm. come across as uh, I don't know who else uh, I had someone on Twitter suggest uh, Australian Super actually speaking of pension plans that maybe Australian Super has the, the wherewithal and the interest to, to jump on yeah, board that yeah. one you yeah, I mean that's yeah. So the pension funds broadly would consider, you know would cover super as well. Yeah, so I mean that is totally a possibility if they you know they, if they know what they're doing and what price they're paying. I mean, and it might actually be for those guys a good return, right? I mean, you know they can buy it now for like you know twenty cents and then sell it later for like even eighty cents uh, you know, on the dollar, <laughs> and you know they make they make <laughs> quite a bit of money, right? Um, so yeah, like I mean those seem like the most likely. 
I don't know. Did you have thoughts or did you get any good answers? Like, so I, I did. Mate, this, this is part of the reason I want to ask the question. I, I think it's a fascinating idea to think about, and I think it is a sort of situation where someone from left field may well come and buy it. Um, I did get one particular particular answer, mate, which I which I particularly liked, and I was I was looking for it now. We got one one person who, with I think I assume tongue firmly in cheek, said that maybe Apple would be the right purchaser, and they said if they did, <laughs> Apple Air could charge seven hundred bucks for a flight from Sydney to Melbourne and Apple fans would happily pay the price. And I just thought that was a really, really nice... I mean, obviously tongue-in-cheek and, I, I, you know, you, you know that you and I have a bit of a, a bit of banter about Apple, uh, but I thought that was not necessarily a completely unreasonable assessment of, of, how, uh, of how, how Apple might be... It was Tyson, by the way, Tyson Jonas. I just found his tweet. He says, Apple, Apple Air would be able to charge 700 bucks for an economy ticket to Melbourne from Sydney and fans would pay it happily. What do you reckon, mate? Is that a, is that a fair assessment? Well, you know, if you if uh, you know Apple could buy it for if Apple got too much money, it could buy it for like five cents on the dollar, you know, you know it's, it's, and then and sell it later. You know, like you know, it's, it's very unlikely, but you know, they've got cash to buy it, uh, so they. Are you going to fly Apple Air, mate? Uh, would you would you change all of your family's travel to Apple Air tomorrow if they if they bought Virgin? I don't know. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Qantas, as I've said many times um, on air. Like you just say, it's just like the, you know. But yeah, it's very hard to compete with a brand Apple, right? I mean, brand Apple exactly. is means a lot of, a lot of fuzzy, warm, nice things. Uh, my entire household is full of like Apple stuff. Uh, we we buy regularly more Apple stuff, even if we don't need it. Uh, we have Apple subscriptions, even if we don't need it. We just have them because it's just the right You're thing to do man. is to have Apple, a a apples. You know, it's just exactly like I fly. It, you know, here's the thing with brands, right? This is a little bit lesson on brands, maybe for our fans here. Uh, yep. The thing with brands is that there is a lot of irrational spending associated with brands. You know, disposable oh, income tends to tends to move towards those brands, right? So, like, we would we yep. would always pay more for our tickets with Qantas just because. You know, we just like the way they make us right, feel, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, but it's the same airline. Like, I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with Virgin. It's you know, the same aircraft, same things. But it's just just the specificities of those things. So the brand actually has a power. So yeah, if Apple could buy it and sell tickets. Maybe not be seven hundred, but it could at least charge double of Qantas, maybe, yeah. uh, and it would probably fill the plants. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a, it's a fascinating so. story. I I gotta say, it's one of those. Um, I, I I love that point. That was one of why I wanted to bring up the Apple story, really, because you, you talk about brands. I mean, that's it's a really really important part of an investment thesis, right? Like I I missed horribly, and I, listeners know that you've got the wood over me on Apple because you bought it and you own it, and it's gone up wonderfully. And I've missed out enormously on buying Apple, and I'm sure at some point you'll tell me it's not too late, which is what you normally do when I mention that. Um, but but the you know what what I what I what I kick myself for, other than just not buying it generally, is. You know, I, I looked at Apple fans. You know, I call them fanboys sometimes just for a laugh. And you know, I mean, it, it, there is a, there is an amount of passion for Apple as a brand that is unrivaled by almost every other brand. Tesla, frankly, gets close. Um, I would imagine some kind of surfwear, kind of clothing brands that people kind of associate with their own kind of style and, and identity maybe come close. Um, but I can't really think of too many other brands that are just that. Coke maybe, but even then, you know, it's a kind of a drink of choice, but hardly it's something you'd you'd have tattooed. Harley Davidson is probably the other one actually um, that gets close to about tattoos. People get Harley tattoos. You, it's a special brand when someone tattoos their brand on your body on, on their body, right? I think that's that that's a nice little uh, nice little check in terms of brand power. But that, I mean, there, there is so much value as you say. People will willingly pay more. They'll buy more. It makes them feel better. That's the thing about brands. There's, you know, it's always there's nothing rational. There's rationality about the product, absolutely. But the brand premium you can charge is all about 
how your product and your brand, your name makes someone feel. And there is super, super amounts of value in that. Absolutely. Uh, there's a few others. Like, you know, there's Louis Vuitton um, is a great one. Hermes or yeah, Hermes, yeah. whatever, however it is said. Uh, you know, about, like about, about my pay grade, mate, I wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, like, you know, my, here's the thing. My daughter, who's like 12, she says, do you know, um, and she's not even 12, do you know that uh, Louis Vuitton sells hats, you know, like hats, like stuff that you just put in your head. They're 600 bucks. I know. She's, and she said, told me this, like, how can someone, that's like, that's almost like an iPod or more than an isn't iPod, that, like two I know, iPods. Isn't that phenomenal? It's, so how does that happen? You know, she, you know, so the, She's not even 12. She knows that there's this hat out there that's oh, like man. 600 bucks, right? So that's, those are phenomenal things. So, uh, yeah, like, I mean, again, Qu- Qantas totally uses that, right? I mean, Qantas's fares are <laughs> always substantially higher than comp- yeah. uh, competition, you know, and it's just the way you sort of use the branding. Mm. It's it's a branding is is, is a fantastic thing, um, you know. And if you have a good a solid brand, like a brand which is renowned, you know, there's there should be some brand premiums to that when you even like when you're buying shares, like you know, not not a lot, but I mean, there is, uh, um, yeah, it's it just makes sense, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's really it's just worth keeping in mind, right? The whole Apple AR idea, as much as it was funny, as much as the Virgin story is, is fascinating, the, the power of the brand and the, just the, the inherent kind of truth about that point. Like, yeah, also, also worth thinking about quality and, and culture, right? So the other thing that I thought about when I thought about this story was, if you think about, you know, I, I would love to actually have Apple run an airline for a while. And not because not, not I want Apple to run an airline in itself, right? But if you it, try and think about how a company like Apple would run an airline, and you think about innovation, you think about disruption. Um, again, Tesla and cars, right? Like the, the whole concept of Elon Musk going from, from uh, was PayPal originally or, or um, X.com, whatever it was at the time, um, to, then, to then kind of creating this, um, this car company, right? taking, taking some, some ethos or some view or some culture from something and applying it somewhere else. I mean, I, I would love to see Apple run airline for a year just to see what they change, just so they do differently, right? That, that innovation culture, you know, we talk about growth companies and that kind of stuff, and you mentioned Blackmores. Uh, you know, the, the, an, an innovation culture, a, a doing things differently culture, just taking a, a fresh set of eyes. I mean, famously, the Intel story, which I'm sure we've told before, mate, was Andy Grove and I want to say Gordon Moore, I think it was, um, in, yeah. in the office, the, the, the new CEO, of, or the, sorry, the, the, the management team of Intel. And at the time, they were making memory chips, right? Not the processes they're known for now. And... And they turned to each other, and I can't remember the exact who said what to who, but the question was, hey, if we were fired tomorrow and two new blokes walked in the front door, what would they do? And they agreed, well, they'd sell that division immediately. Why would you keep doing it? Like, it's, it's crazy. Why would you do that business? And that, that was their kind of, it's, it's really obvious in hindsight, of course, and even when you tell the story, it seems obvious, but the, 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 the kind of light bulb moment was, well, if they would do that, why wouldn't we? You know, and so that, that idea of just because we do it a certain way, just because airlines have been run a certain way, just because car companies have been run a certain way just because engines have been built a certain way. It really takes a very, very new, almost outsider-ish kind of thinking. And if you think about how, again, Apple might run an airline or Tesla might run a vitamin company or, again, it doesn't matter which examples you use, it's worth thinking about, right? Because that's where disruption innovation can really, really matter and why disruption, while the strike rate can be low across the board, if you get it right, can really be seismic. Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting viewpoint. You, you know, the, here's the thing, right, about... Um, Strike rates too, right? I mean, if you think about strike rates, it's we tend to think so of strike rates having a high fail potential. But yep. if you think about, like, using Apple as an example, right? There is not a product that they released since the iPod that is a failure. 
Like, I mean, it may not be as big as a success. So you can't benchmark everything as a success against the iPhone, yeah, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. But every product that they've come up with post that, any other company would die to take it, right? They, right. they would like, you know. Anything, have they really? Pardon me? No, they, they haven't withdrawn like, any I mean, of them. They have not withdrawn. So, so I mean, in a way, they have a hundred percent strike rate. But I'm sure they yeah. have, uh, you know, a lot of things that happen in the background that you know they basically kill. So, I mean, the the, the innovation. Some some companies have perfected the art of innovation, um, yep. and. You know, there, there's an art there. There's a bit of a science. There's a bit of an art in how you do it, and, and then how you convince people. Um, you know, and sometimes it's, it's, so, so. A lot of times, you have to. You know, that are you going to put this little, you know, toothbrush head into your ear, right? That's a that's an art of convincing, right? You have to convince yeah. people that that is cool to do, right? And that's a combination not just of uh, tech, but it's a combination of tech, your your storytelling, your ability to convince people, um, right? Brand value, and, all that and, kind of stuff, exactly. Yeah, yeah, all all the all the stuff that comes with it, right? So it's a, it's an interesting thing. You, you know, a lot of companies have hundred percent strike rate. A lot of companies have like you know zero percent strike rate, uh, mm. and I find that very interesting. You know, like Apple basically has a hundred percent strike rate in whatever it does. It's true. I was talking about strike rate. I meant more innovative companies generally. So if you took ten companies trying to disrupt a market, one, only one of them might succeed because you know there's a whole lot of electric car companies or different car companies that tried to do stuff and only one kind of makes it. Um, I'd meant strike rate within a company, but yeah, that's also a valid point. I think there's some value to if you can combine the two. If you can be an established business that also innovates and disrupts, the benefits that come with that, as you say, the balance sheet, the brand strength, the the know-how, the the fan base. I mean, that's a great starting point, right? Like you got to think. What, you know, the AirPods, right, for example, the, the new earbuds um, or newish earbuds, once you've done the iPhone, the iPad, the Mac, the whatever else is out there that I haven't thought, the, the, what, the Apple Watch, uh, once you've done all that stuff, I, I guess you've almost got a built-in audience, right? You, I, I, can't imagine, I can't imagine how the, unless it was a terrible product, the AirPods almost had to succeed, right, almost by definition because of the sheer number of installed users, the sheer fan value. That's, I mean, that's a massive, massive benefit if you can combine the kind of incumbents with that innovation and, and kind of disruption culture. Yeah, but, but here's the thing, right? That's what we are saying now because they've succeeded, right? Because if I go back to when the, the iPhone, I think, 7 came out without the headphone jack, mm. the story was how bad this is. Apple's innovation is removing the headphone jack. The, the problem is at that time, you know, I remember telling people, Apple's innovation is removing the headphone jack basically means there is something along the, the line that's coming that's going to actually be such that you don't need the headphone jack anymore. So, I mean, the, yes, it seems obvious that it succeeded, but I think there's a lot, you know, like at that time when it came out or when it was done or when, it was, when the stage was set, it doesn't seem obvious, right? A lot of things that... Mm. It seems obvious in the hindsight. And, and I think that's interesting largely because our mindset is always set to look at what we have seen in the past. And mm. and therefore, we it's really hard because most people are not innovating at that scale, right, and that rate. So, you know, innovation is actually a rare commodity in that sense. And, uh, you know, these companies are paying a lot of money to have at that scale, it's just Apple yeah. at, at that scale. So I'm not saying, saying Apple, but, you know, like I could add Amazon or whoever else to yeah, the list, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, but But... It is, it is the fact that you don't see what's in the drawing boards and, you know, you don't see what else is cooking um, that makes things that are currently happening 
um, seem, oh, you know, that doesn't make sense. Oh, the innovation is not dead or, oh, the, you know, is the innovation just removing the headphone jack and stories like this? Or when the first AirPods came out, oh, this thing looks funny. Nobody's going to wear it. Oh, now it is like everybody's copying it, right? Uh, and then you would say, oh, but then Apple's innovation is that. It's, it's, it's a funny thing about innovation because, you know, I think a lot of people just don't understand innovation. Is, is, it is a, innovation is a cool word to use, but, you know, if I had to take a sample space and I'd say, you know, we do a poll and there was some test uh, to figure out innovation, then 99.99% people are going to fail the test of innovation, right? And I just don't, you know, what actually, uh, you know, means innovation, right? And, and that makes it hard um, for for print media and people who are, you know, talking about it and, you know, the reviewers who are talking about it and the press and the news that comes with it. And that makes it, you know, that, that's what I, th- I think is, I find is fascinating. Anyways, that was a big tangent. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Mate, I'm going to quickly, I'm going to, I'm going to have a rant. You okay with that? I am fine with the rant. Here we go. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, I'm going to rant again. I've done this not for a little while, so for our new listeners, welcome to the rant. Uh, the high horse. We did have at one point uh, a high horse sound. Maybe maybe our, our techies can, audio techs can revive it, but you never know. Uh, doing it from home makes things a little, little tougher than they used to. Look, I'm going to have another whinge, mate, about the idea of cutting tax for companies. I have seen in the paper again, both from politicians and business lobbies, funnily enough, the fact that cutting taxes are going to all of a sudden unleash some dramatic amount of innovation in, in Australia and all of a sudden change the world. Now, I'm going to ask a rhetorical question, mate. So here's the thing. Let's say I have a mine. The miners were the ones who asked for tax cuts. Apparently, $100 billion of mine projects are reliant on tax cuts. Let's say I've got a mine and I make a billion dollars out of that mine. And so I've got to pay $300 million, 30% in tax. I'm left with $700 million at the end, right? That's a pretty good day's work or year's work. Everyone's happy with that. Except the miners say, no, 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 I, I won't do that. I don't want $700 million badly enough. But if you cut the tax to say 25%, if I could keep $750 million rather than $700 million, oh, I'd do that. I do that one. So the 700 million, that's a jump change. I wouldn't get out of bed for that. But give me another 50 million bucks on my billion dollar profit and I will run down the street. I will spend 100 billion dollars in new investment because you know what? That's been the problem. I didn't want 700 million. I only wanted 750. Come on, ScoMo. Come on, Josh. Help us out. Cut corporate tax rates. I have... I, I don't even know how they do that with a straight face. I don't know how they honestly look themselves in the mirror and say, that was a pretty good case. I, I made a very clear case. It's obvious why tax cuts are needed. Now, I don't want to get into personal tax cuts and I don't necessarily even care that much about the right amount of tax per se. The whole idea, and, and Buffett's um, banged on about this in a New York Times editorial to kind of go full circle from where we started at New York Times. Um, his point was, hey, if people won't go ahead with projects as the tax they'd pay, then send them my way. Let me let me unburden them, he says. And I'm in the same place. If, if we've got miners out there who are saying, look, I don't really want to only make $700 million in profit, I reckon that's okay, Doc. I'll tell you what, I'll take that project off their hands. I'll take the $700 million problem because, you know, it's not enough for them and that's okay. They can go and do more important things. I'll make $700 million. That's fine. I figure that's a, a fair swap. Isn't that right? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean... <laughs> I love the I love the way you put the numbers in oh. because you know hey it, it is like you know I will not take the seven hundred million be, uh, because I have to pay three hundred million I'll take zero instead of seven hundred correct um, that that's even better it, exactly it is, it, it is yeah look look you know like here's the thing about okay. Uh, uh, 
I agree with your sentiment 100%. The only thing I would say is um, a tax cut makes sense only in the environment where you're able to attract more businesses. So basically, right. if yeah. you if if you said that my tax rate in Australia is going to be, you know, 20% and therefore yeah. it's going to be more aligned with the tax rates across the globe and yeah. would if that would, you know, encourage um, company XYZ to set up the headquarters here or bring more work here and stuff like that, I think that would be a win, right? Yep. Now, unless there's a policy framework that actually ensures that, all you're doing is basically giving um, the, the current lot um, a better deal. No, you could... And that's, that's the problem, could, by the way. Like, that's the thing that people don't necessarily think yeah. about. It's fine to say, and not you're saying this at all, you're not saying this, but, you know, attracting foreign investment by cutting the tax rate is one thing. But if you, if, you, if you dilute the current tax base by a full third to do that... Then everyone, you know, Woolies and Coles and Commonwealth Bank and Qantas and not oh, they're paying any tax at the moment. <laughs> you know, those guys are paying less tax, but they're happy. But there's no more economic activity from those guys to drag a couple from overseas. It's a, it's a tough bit of algebra to make work. Yeah, you have to like you know you have to make the math work to see that you know you you attract enough, create new enough economic activity that has other flow on uh, effects that it makes it. Uh, the only other argument in you know just just to make it a little bit more you know uh, uh, I, I guess to just you know round it up. The only other mm-hmm. argument I can see is if you have a company that's based here that's primarily doing its um, its activity here and it has a thirty percent tax rate, mm-hmm. right? Um, for example, uh, then in that case, if it has to compete with another company which has a 15% tax rate because it's domiciled somewhere else, yeah. you, you sort of you're you're at a disadvantage in that sense, right? From a from a uh, profit point of view, um, yeah. Yeah. and and so on and so forth. So I mean, it makes you maybe slightly less competitive, and and that uh, that could be an argument. As you, like I mean. This is a complex, complex issue, right? I mean, you cut, you you cannot cut tax. You you basically you reduce your tax revenue unless you reduce your tax revenue unless you can guarantee that you have you have uh, in place ways to attract businesses. Like this is this is a policy decision. Like Ireland, uh, back in the day, uh, you know, in Europe did you know bunch of um, mm-hmm. you know it basically became a tax haven for uh, technology <laughs> companies and a lot of, and and and. Hundreds of technology companies came there, uh, yeah. so now you know uh, that Apple's, Apple's profits still routed through Ireland, aren't they? No, no, no. So I'm not talking about routing of profits. So, like you know, the, so a lot of companies route their profits via. Um, actually, a lot of them actually route them via. Like if 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 for Europe, they would route them through, mm. I believe, Netherlands because okay. it's very profitable. Yeah. yeah. What right. what I'm talking about is the actual tax tax that's paid, right? Because mm. Ireland, Ireland has a very, uh, I think it's one of the lowest taxed regime for is, yeah. uh, business activity in um, in the in the in the, in Europe, and then that has encouraged a lot of tech companies to set up you know like almost all major tech companies would have um, European uh, their European operations headquartered or at least a substantial operation in Ireland and and and, and, and it, you know they have a high um, tech workforce so there's some benefits to that you know you have more people working there that's creating more economic activity you have you know there's some flow and activity from the fact that people are working in these tech companies eventually they might leave and start their own startups and those startups might get started in in Ireland yeah, yeah. but, but that, that is a very concerted policy that they've had for a long time um, again like you know yeah so so it can work in your favor if but you have to really uh, work through it you kind of got to bet the farm too, right? Because you, you're betting the entire tax base 
locally. I, I, it's worth saying too, by the way, that Kansas and the US try this at a state level and they are just in an absolute world of hurt. They, they cut taxes, try to attract enough business and whatever. Now, maybe as you say, long term, maybe they find a way to get through it, but it has been an absolute abject failure at this point. I, I, I get why you'd want to pay less tax. I have to say, by the way, the miners asking for is a particularly special one because they can't go anywhere else. <laughs> the iron ore is in the ground here. It's not. It's no, you, you, can't, you can't go mine Australian iron ore in Singapore or New Zealand right? or Ireland. So it's, I thought that was a particularly special one where they say, well, we'll take our business elsewhere. Good, knock yourselves out, guys. But the, the gold's staying here. So anyway, it was just it was just worth having a having a bit of a laugh at. I, I kind of liked it, mate. I'm going to quickly let our members know, listeners know. Sorry, they could become members of ours by going to a very special website page and joining my service this time because I've given you a plug for enough weeks. And frankly, you know, it's time for me to get some back. I want them to join Motley <laughs> Fool Share Advisor this week. Now, for again about the price of a cup of coffee, maybe a cappuccino a week, you can join Motley Fool Share Advisor. In fact, even their two-year deal is even better. Motley Fool Share Advisor is our flagship service, mate. It's been going since December 2011, if you can believe that. Coming up to, was it eight and a half years? We're not, not miles off the uh, the 10-year milestone, which is pretty exciting. And we're beating the market by a pretty wide margin as of today. Of course, as we always say, past performance is no guarantee, but I'm pretty happy and, and pleased for, on behalf of our members for the returns we've been able to deliver for them. And I hope the combination of investment advice, education, and of course, those stock picks will help our current and future members uh, do an even better job of preparing themselves for retirement or compounding their wealth in retirement, of course, as well. So they can join by going to fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast, SA for share advisor. So fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast. I run that with our mate, Andrew Leggett, who also does a stellar job. In fact, our most recent recommendation was only out yesterday as you're listening to this. Uh, so you can get in, if not on the perfect ground floor, but certainly you can get a look at our most recent recommendation. It's only now a day old. Plus, of course, all of our past recommendations, our current buy recommendations, our best buys now, the full gamut, everything you want from Motley Fool Share Advisor at fool.com.au forward slash SA podcast. All right, that's it for the ad, mate. Um, I reckon we've got time for one mailbag question. What do you reckon? Let's do it. All right, got a question from Malibu Jones, one of my favourite Twitter handles. He says, or he, she says, at TMF Scott P, at Anirban Mahanti, and I'll go on to that in a second. Hi, Scott and Doc. A splendid podcast, most informative. Thank you, Malibu. A quick question. Kogan is now at record highs, but with a PE north of 45, is it getting expensive? Is PE a useful measure in this instance? Do you think there is room for growth? Thanks and fool on. Now, mate, I'm compelled to say, I'm not, I'm not one for victory laps, but I'm compelled to say that since you and I both suggested our listeners buy Kogan back in early 2019, the shares are up 215% as we speak right this second. That's a very nice triple. So hopefully some of the listeners took advantage of that and, and bought some shares. Maybe Malibu Jones did as well. That was then. This is now, Doc. At $10.48, I think it's going to be a bit pricey for Kogan. Yeah, so like this is okay. Here's the thing, right? This is difficult in the sense that um, so 40, 45 or fifty or whatever it is, it looks expensive, right? But I mean, there are a couple of things mm-hmm. to think about here. Number number one is what do you expect the top line growth to be going forward, right? And then the reason to think about that is. You, Online is still a small fraction of the overall retail spend. How much of that is going to go online is the question. You know, you and I have talked about this. We have different, you know, estimates. But, you know, I'd, I'd be pretty comfortable saying that 50% in, let's say, 10 years oh, is going to be easy. online. 
Yeah, right? Like it could I even remember be 10 years. I'd say easily, easily 50, easily in 15 years. It may well be 10 to your point. Uh, I, I, would be, I would be flabbergasted if half our spending isn't online in 15 years. Yeah, so... So we, we could have like, you know, differences in opinion about the numbers and so on, but the general trajectory, that is a humongous amount of growth that we're talking about, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so, so let's not even quantify how that growth, that, that is a huge amount of growth. Then number two is, of course, we wouldn't expect, or at least I don't expect all of it to be in Kogan's hands because that would just be unfair to everybody else. <laughs> it'd be good for Kogan, but it'll be unfair <laughs> to everybody else. And, else. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so... But, you know, as sort of the f- at, at the forefront of this movement, I would think, at least in Australia, um, mm-hmm. I would expect them to have a pretty substantive share of mm-hmm. that. It doesn't need – so, it's, you know, when you're looking at a big pie, it doesn't need to win all of the pie. It needs to win its fair share. A little bit more than fair share would be pretty good. So that's a large amount of growth potential in the top line, right? The top line is going to fluctuate a bit. So, so my, this is my long-winded way of saying that you've got a long, you've got a big opportunity. You've got a secular shift happening. I, you know, uh, however much we dislike the word secular, but there is a shift happening. People are <laughs> yeah. moving it. They're spent to online. Uh, yeah. Given the business model, right? They've got they've got relatively fixed fixedish cost base, right? Some, you know, uh, think of this as an IT company with some, the, the way I think of Kogan, it's one way to think about Kogan is Kogan is basically a tech company with some distribution and, uh, and warehousing, mm-hmm. right? That's that's yes. the way to yep. think about, one way to think about uh, Kogan. And of course, the margins here are never going to be super, super high because, you know, ultimately mm-hmm. there's only so much margin you can take on toothpaste and toilet paper and whatever else, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Uh, but, but but it has its own brand stuff that it does where it can take more margin, right? So the Kogan TV, the Kogan washing mm-hmm. machine, I don't know, whatever else, Kogan carpets, right? So, and then all the other things that they've got where they've got, you know, white label, you know, they basically label other people's products. So there's all these other things. So I think, again, margins can be decent. So all of this is a rounded way of saying that, you know, you can expect growth for a long time with you know with some what we the word we like to say is operating leverage which basically means that the top line say if it grows at 20% the bottom line could grow at higher than that because mm. you know there's relatively a, there's a lot of juicing opportunity here for them so that's a bull case 45 is pricey but what that basically means in my view is here's how I think about it I, I think that I think the long-term prospects of this company are great. Um, if I had my position, I would just sit tight on it, and I would be fully cognizant of the fact that a company at a PE of 45 or 50 is going to be highly volatile. Shares are $10 today. They could become $12, or they could become $8, as an example. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, just be prepared for that. Uh, you know, is it is it where I'm going to be rushing to add to my position? Probably not. But you know, because because of the fact that I know the volatility is there. So, and if I have a position, I probably add with you know on a on a, on on with volatility. But yeah, I absolutely think like I mean, you know, maybe it's pricey, but I think there's, it's pricey for a reason. Uh, there's a lot of growth potential here, and so yeah, that's what I think about it. That's how I would view a company like this. If I, you know, I'll just caveat that. At least this is my style. If I didn't own a position and I wanted to own Kogan because I love the company, uh, I would absolutely feel comfortable going and adding or starting, um, you know, what I like to call like a startup position, for example, in this company. So that's how I mm-hmm. think about, uh, that's my view with Kogan. Nice one. Thank you. Um, all right. Perfect. I uh, think that's about my view too, mate. I've got to say, I think 
Uh, look, the good thing about Kogan is it's only recently gone from loss to profit, and I think the possibilities or the opportunities for it to continue to grow that leverage as well as growing the top line are both really, really impressive and significant. So P45, yeah, looks really scary. I have to say for what it's worth, it's, because, it, because its profit margins and profit size is currently so small, literally it's just kind of just eked over that loss to profit kind of line. Should it choose to, it could double profits a, a almost guaranteed tomorrow. Um, literally, pull back on some marketing costs. Now, it shouldn't, but it could. Um, all of a sudden, it's a P of 22. It looks a bit more attractive, and you kind of go from there. It's a little bit like, and I don't want to draw the straight Amazon analogy because I, I never want people to think, oh, next Amazon, and Scott's saying, I'm not saying that at all. It's not going to be the next Amazon. Amazon will always be multiple, you know, massive, massively larger than Coke, uh, certainly globally. But, you know, to some degree, the ability to reinvest that profit in future growth um, and or at some point turn the profit tap on, I think is, is, is a pretty good opportunity. So I still like Hogan at the current price. Um, I think it was one of our best buys now. It's share advisor this month, maybe last month. Um, really like it. It's had a big jump because of the move to people shopping online because of the pandemic, of course. But I think it's a, I think it's a long-term winner. I th- I'd be happy to buy it at the current price personally. Can I add one thing, actually? So let's Please. not do a comparison to Amazon. You know, you know, this is really a recommendation on your side, so you should be talking. It's, you know, I'm, I'm just talking your book, it looks like. But here, here's a... <laughs> I'm always happy for that. <laughs> so here, here's a comparison I would actually ha- be happy to draw. Okay. Um, uh, and... The last 12 months, again, I'm looking at our beautiful uh, S&P Capital IQ, IQ <laughs> database. The last 12 months, revenue for Woolworths was $62 billion. That's large. $62 billion, right? The last 12-month <laughs> revenue yep. for yep. Kogan is, let me tell you the number right now, is only $426 million. That's small, much smaller than $62 billion, last I checked. That is, I think that is all so that you two know. Two thirds of one percent, something like that. So what it works out. To. Yeah, so so that that's I think you know again I understand there is like you know meat sales and all those other things that Kogan is not doing, but there are stuff that <laughs> Kogan does that those guys don't do, right? Right, right, um, right. right. So. I think that just puts into context. It doesn't have to be Kogan. Doesn't have to be Amazon. Kogan will not be Amazon. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, I should never say not uh, because you never know. Mark <laughs> <laughs> uh, likely. And, well, but, but you know, Russell and Kogan, we have had him as well at a, at a platinum event, right? Yes. Um, and you know, when when you hear this person speak, you can it oozes um, charm. It uses confidence. Is you mm-hmm. it, it oozes this long term centric view and a really cool way of looking at the future. So uh, I, that type of leadership really inspires. And I think, again, I think this is the context I'd say 400 something versus 62 billion. There's a long runway here. Yes, the shares look expensive, you know, as and you know, but yeah, and it could be volatile. I'll be I'll if you've seen the shares go from what, like $1 something uh, to, you know, $8 back to like $3 and now back to like something like $10. So this is going to be volatile, which is very similar to what the Amazon shares did, right? I mean, the Amazon shares were down like 90% at one point. Again, not to draw the bow, but I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I like this company really lots. Very good. Mate, I reckon we're done. We've gone way over time, but it's been a really, really fun conversation. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it as well. And surprise, surprise, we're going to do a mailbag episode this Sunday. So make sure you come back in a couple of days. Mate, I do want to give a quick shout out or a quick mention, a bit of housekeeping. Um, I did actually hear again during the week, mate, that iTunes is still playing up for some reason for our Sunday mailbag episodes. Um, so I don't know why um, we don't know how to fix it. We thought it had been fixed. We got some feedback from someone saying, yeah, it's working now. Um, and unfortunately, though, I got another message only this morning from someone on Twitter saying, hey, did you guys publish something on Sunday? I didn't see it. Um, so yes, we did. Uh, we're publishing it this Sunday. Uh, I'm happy people to keep 
using the iTunes app, of course, but um, or the podcast app. Just be mindful that it may not show up. If it doesn't, you may need to find, at least for the short term, some other solution, or at least just go do a quick manual search and grab it that way. So just to make sure you don't miss out, um, I, I mean, look, you want to have Apple and Google fights all the time, mate, but it's not about that. It's just literally in this case about making sure our listeners can access the podcast. For whatever reason, it's not showing up. Um, one of the feedback pieces we did get was people may not have updated the app. I know most of that's automatic these days, so I doubt that's the case. But just in case you are missing your Sunday Malbec episodes, just try and uh, manually update the podcast app, see if that helps. Uh, I'm not a techie, but that's what the tech suggested it might be, at least partly a solution. So do that. In the meantime, as I said, if you, if you are looking to find it, maybe use a different podcast app for a bit or um, just go manually search for the episode to make sure you don't miss out. So I just want to throw that in, mate. We will, on Sunday, by the way, also share our socials. So if you want to get in touch with us, I won't do it now. We're massively over time, but do that. Tune in on Sunday and we'll give you that information. We love getting your feedback, your suggestions, your comments, your questions, your thoughts. So please keep doing that. That wraps us up, mate. But, of course, our, members, our listeners shouldn't forget they can and should subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or their favourite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a five-star rating, leave us a review, tell your friends, write it in the sky in big puffy white letters, hire a billboard, do what you can, help us out, help a brother out. We're doing our best here to bring you some wonderful, free, educational, hopefully entertaining content. So I'm sure more people could do with some uh, bit of foolishness in their lives as well. Speaking of which, you can do that for yourself by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back on Sunday with another dose of foolish insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.